passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. A-W, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. It's John Pollock and Wei Ting, refueled, re-energized, and here we are on a Wednesday night to talk about Dynamite and many other topics. How are you, Wei? I'm doing okay, John. Yourself? I'm doing, I'm doing great. I'm doing good. Good. Great. Are you keeping tabs of all the times I, all my answers? Not really. Maybe, maybe Brad is. Maybe the archivist is. Good, great. I mean, it's usually good, great. So I would say uh, stats-wise, it's probably like a 92% good or maybe yeah, maybe thir- 45% good to maybe 40, 40% great. Sure. Yeah, Although, uh, I think that's a good range. I'd like to see a graph at the end of the year, see how it fluctuates. But do you really mean it, though? When, when I say, say I'm good? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I'm overselling the fact that I, I'm good. Um, I if mean, you're having a bad day, would you be honest and say that you're having a bad day? I think I'm pretty honest when I have a bad day, so I'm not doing great. Uh, today's really crappy. I think I've said that m- multiple times. How about I don't have I, terrible days. Uh, I, I don't think, you know, everyone has their bad days. I think they're relatively in check. How about average it's like, yeah, well, that's kind of good, isn't it? Like average in this day and age, if you can get average, average is good. So the, it's only good or bad. Like the threshold between those two is just, it's a one line, you know? Like I mean, I can expand if you'd like, if you want to get into like more the minutia of, you know, a day is, it's really hard to encapsulate an entire day in a word, even a sentence. I mean... Think of all you True. could achieve in one day, all the different things that could happen. Like I could, in a span of a few hours, I could win the lottery and also get mugged. And how like, how do I recap that day? I mean, I would say it was I would say overall, eventful. overall good if I won the lottery. Overall good? What if, what if I got mugged and the lottery ticket was stolen from me? Okay, that would be bad. Yeah. Undoubtedly bad. Like if I won the lottery and then, well, you took my wallet. Okay. I lost 50 bucks. Sure. But I still won the lottery, but to lose your ticket, then you didn't win the lottery. That would, that would suck. That's, that's the deciding factor is the thing that was so bad. Did it have a direct effect on what was so good? Or does the great thing that happened to you override any other negative experience in said day? Yeah. How bad was the bad thing and how good was the good thing? 
Mm. Like, that's awesome. You you bought a, a brand new TV, um, but you were in a fender bender and the screen smashed in the back. Well, you know what? You don't have the silver lining of, well, at least I got a brand new 60-inch TV. You don't. And you didn't get the warranty, dumbass. So you're out of luck. Yeah, that would be bad. That would be a bad day. How was your day? Um, oh, now I have different criteria. Um, I can't say, I, I would say average. I would say average. And I think that's the truth. You know, most people, I think we all have average days. Uh, let's save good for like when something exceptional happens to us. Okay. Was there any moment today you wanted to break out into song? Oh, God. Uh, no, no, not in particular today. No. Well, that's what Fridays are for. Well, I know what everyone is listening to. They're like, what is the point of this discussion? Well, maybe someone out there is having a bad day. Maybe they're just trying to listen. Maybe some good news will come their way. Maybe they're thinking, you know what? I'm a member of the Post Wrestling Cafe. And it's Rewind to Dynamite. That means that I could be the winner of the weekly draw to win something from the post wrestling store. That would really turn things around for me. That would make today the best. Can we make someone's day? We sure can. Um... There's a lot of pressure on you because you have a lot of people you can choose from. Man, who looks like they they might be having a bad day today? Uh, okay. Uh, well, I well, think you're looking for that. Are are you are you killing time? No, no, no. I I, I got it. Uh, okay. Sean. Let's hope this person is going to be. This is going to be like a ray of sunshine coming down on this person. Yeah, Sean Cortezano. From Brock- Brockton, Massachusetts. I hope this news uh, means that you are having a bad day because you don't win. <laughs> Psych. Uh, oh, wouldn't that be you just a great... ruined their day? Yeah, they were having. They, you teased them with a great idea. Yeah, wouldn't a it, great day. Wouldn't it be great if I named somebody and then said you don't win? <laughs> <laughs> You're the runner-up. Uh, just kidding. You win. Congratulations, Sean Cortesano from Brockton, Massachusetts. Any item from store.postwrestling.com. Tukes. The Tukes are very popular right now. The Tukes are on fire, folks. Go go grab a Tuke. It's going to be a cold winter out there, so bundle up from the store. Uh, Congratulations. Uh, Sean? Sean, Sean, that's right, yeah. Well, excellent stuff. You know what I want to do before we uh, get into the news? Can Can we start off with... Some good news. Oh, we should always start off with good news. You know what? Anytime you flick the, the like a news channel on, I think this should it should be a rule. Always yeah. start off with the good news. The headline should be the good news. Second page. That's where you you can put all the bad news. We are breaking into our programming today. Uh, a a man just donated half his salary to uh, the local hospital. Now back to your regularly scheduled programming. We will have more on this at 6 o'clock. Never break in for oh, that's information great. like that. That yeah. just says, ah, that's really great. There's some really nice people out there. It's great, but at the same time, I'm like, I could probably skip that. 
I can probably tune in halfway through the news. I mean, it's not really urgent if it's good news, really. Well, you need a hook. Why? Why did this man make such a generous donation? Find out at 6 o'clock with exclusive comments. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just not as juicy as like, this man was shot five times. We've got the video. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's just not as attractive. Um, So... I mean, that is sort of the, the predicament of headlines, isn't it? Isn't it? Well, that's, that's a re-education of everybody. We need to embrace good news like we all do horrifying news, where we've just got to watch in horror at something that's happening. And how is this real? thing is, is like, well, I think part of the reason why we're attracted to bad news is because we want to know how to avoid that situation. We want to know how to avoid being sh- shot five times. So there's a sense of danger and urgency and survival that leads us to want to know about the bad news so we can avoid it. I mean, I, I don't completely disagree with you, but this year we have been hit with a pandemic where every single day you are told what not to do. And I see a large amount of people who say, ah, you know what? It's not going to apply to me. I'm okay. You have gotten every, you could not have more warnings about how dangerous all of this stuff is. And yet, Eh, you know what? That's a, I mean, that's, it's, it, it's something else altogether. Um, I can't really speak to that, but I mean, I don't know if those people are necessarily watching good news either. They probably have other bad news that they, they're attracted to. Eh, okay. Enough. This is a wrestling podcast, right? I think so. Yes. Well, let's get into uh, the new. Do you want to start with uh, anything else before us? Uh, uh, Whatever you or... want. Whatever you want. Okay. Well, let's let's chat about the news. Uh, starting off the top, uh, I'm going to start with some great news, and that was an update from our friend Jim Valley, who wrote on Tuesday, "Hey everyone, I'm out of isolation. Appreciative of your donations. Maybe Brian and I can do a show together when I can talk." And uh, we've talked about all the health problems that Jim Valley has been going through. I was so happy when I when I read that. It was just like a great update that he's out of isolation and seems to be doing uh, much better. That actually is some good news. That is uh, great legitimately news. Legitimately good news. Yeah, really happy to to hear about that and hope he's, uh, you know, really on on the mend. Um, it sounds sounded like he he's been through a terrible ordeal. So hopefully, uh, you know, he's he's through the worst of it. I mean, we're we're, we're it, it's it's shown that the entire wrestling community is really pulling for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so great news there for uh, for uh, Jim Valley. Uh, let's go over to I guess the big story tonight going into Dynamite was the late change to the show where Sonny Kiss replaced Joey Janela in the title eliminator tournament against Kenny Omega. Earlier in the day, uh, independent wrestler AJ Gray had posted uh, that he had tested positive for COVID nineteen. Uh, this had come after he. He had been on the collective shows and had come out of that, and he had three negative tests, and he's been adamant he does not believe he uh, caught this at the collective. Uh, But after having those three negative tests last week, he worked the Game Changer show on Saturday, which was in Silverado, California, against Joey Janela, and then he stated that he took a test Monday and got the results, and, I mean, AEW, I think, doing 
the, the only choice that you could have and the most responsible one taking Joey Janela off the show, uh, which they announced. This, this was uh, like late. This was about what, less than two hours before the show that they announced this switch and Sunny Kiss was inserted and it ended up being a 26 second match with Kenny Omega. So um, I guess they will await now, you know, once Joey Janela can pass their protocol that we'll see him back in AEW. Mm-hmm. They uh, they did announce that it was Janela who took himself off. So, That's what so they said on the show. Yeah, Excalibur had stated Janela took himself off. Um, in either case, I mean the the result would have been yeah. the same. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, if wrestlers are going to be working elsewhere, like this is going to be a continued possibility everywhere. Um, it's it's a situation that's kind of like unique to AEW in that they allow their on screen weekly talent to work elsewhere. Um, but that's you know these are the contracts that they have. I, I also think it's worth mentioning that you know for for some of these wrestlers that have come forward and announced that they have a positive test, there's always going to be people that are going to come down on these people. And I just think that like, that's a really bad thing to do that you're going to scare a lot of wrestlers that, you know, if they get a positive test, it's not so much the, the idea of like being deceptive, but the idea of maybe talking themselves into believing I'm sure I was fine at this show why go through this trial by Twitter by putting my personal health info out there? Like that's what you're going to scare some of these wrestlers into doing when there's this slew of negative comments that come their way. So I think that should be definitely kept in mind here that these people are sharing these results so that they are being transparent and that those that were around them, like you should be contacting people personally. But on on top of that, I I think people should definitely be keeping that in mind when someone is, you know, they have, contracted the virus like yeah. have I some sympathy i completely agree with you my only exception would be if that wrestler prior to testing positive was denying the existence of this disease uh like some wrestlers have uh that i would encourage people to just go all out shame them as much as you can well um I- i'm not aware of uh of uh the well the covid deniers out there um i guess it's amazing that's a whole different uh subject that we're we're still seeing that kind of stuff even at this stage of things but welcome to 2020 um we're gonna stay on the uh the the covid front i know it's everyone's favorite subject but there is some uh news here on tuesday uh wftv out of florida reported that the orange county department of health is asking the strike team to look into local businesses that could potentially be spreading the virus. And among the venues that they listed, uh, which bars they noted are the biggest concern they have, were the three facilities the WWE is using, which are the Amway Center, the Performance Center, and Full Sail University. And WWE issued a comment in response to this. They wrote, they set, set out this following statement, WWE is not open to the public, but rather operating on a closed set with only essential personnel in attendance. As part of our ongoing weekly testing protocols, Aventus Labs have administered more than 10,000 PCR tests to WWE performers, employees, production staff, and crew, resulting in only 1.5% positive cases as compared to the current national average of more than 5%. 
Additionally, extensive contact tracing takes place and impacted individuals are placed in 14-day quarantine and then only cleared after they test negative. So if you take that math of 10,000 tests, 1.5% positive cases, that would indicate there have been 150 positive cases. And you know several have pointed out the fact that using those percentages, you know, the national average, you're not testing every single person present. You are testing those that are either think that they have symptoms or are concerned about it. In WWE, everybody is being tested. So nonetheless, um, 150 cases, I mean, is like we now have a number that WWE has attached to this, uh, which would not include anything from those first few months where they were not testing. Yeah, and it in a in an attempt to uh minimize I think their um the severity of 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 COVID-19 affecting their company they've in fact like outed the actual number or what is perceived to be the actual a rough estimate of the number of actual cases which um when put into proper context like I definitely think is alarming you know when it's when it's considering that they've only started testing when so July June June. June. Yeah. So from June to now, 150 cases. That is nothing to be proud of whatsoever. Yeah. And and I don't know like how far this kind of investigation goes with the, you know, the Orange County Department of Health uh, and, and how much, you know, jurisdiction there is and, and what this really entails. Uh, we know like like in Florida, I mean, it just, you know, we have kind of been watching like at a distance, like this is a state that seems to be, you know, business first above all else that, um, you know, I, I don't think anyone foresees uh, WWE uh, stopping in any of these venues as as long as they want, um, especially in buildings that they own in the case of uh, of the Performance Center. But I think the numbers are kind of the, the takeaway from this. Certainly, you can say WWE, they're doing uh, more rigorous testing now than before. But like that's that's a significant number, 150 cases um, that we can now attach to this. Now, we can contrast that. Uh, Ring of Honor just wrapped up their latest television tapings. And the Baltimore Sun had a pretty thorough feature and kind of broke down what ROH was doing. And, you know, ROH, I think, has been right at the top level of companies when it comes to uh, preventive measures and protocols. Uh, it noted in the article that after this last set of tapings that one performer was sent home after testing positive and three others were sent home after working on events where someone had tested positive. Uh, no one is named here, although uh, Dan Housen did reveal last week that he was one of them uh, that had gone home and that these performers, uh, it had been reported in The Observer, are being paid for all of this. Uh, Joe Coff was interviewed in this article. He said that it took months for them working with the Maryland State Athletic Commission to come up with protocols. And so those that are taking part have to take a COVID test two weeks before. Uh, they then go to Baltimore and they have a hotel where they check in, take a test, and then they are isolated in their hotel rooms until they get a negative test result. At that point, they can only leave their room to go for a jog or to a social distance gym that they have set up. And then at the tapings, get this, after every match, they are cleaning the ring. Um, 
Masks are worn right up until they have their matches. And then after the tapings, there's a final COVID test taken uh, for contact tracing purposes. And uh, they they stated in the article that they're tentatively planning uh, to do another set of tapings in December. And they're at least, I guess, considering uh, running in other states. But, um, you know, that's about as much as you can ask of a pro wrestling company, I would say, when it comes to preventive measures. And it looks like they had... They had one positive case that they caught and sent that person home. But, you know, Ring of Honor, I think it's, um, you know, they are, they have been commended throughout this whole period, not just from the protocol that we outlined, but the fact their talent, they've been paid this entire year. Like that's very significant. Yeah. Not commended enough. Um, And I, I, I'm really happy. Like an article like that came out to really, you know, shine a bit of light about the links that they are going to, to uh, protect the people that are working for them. And to ensure that they still have work throughout this entire time, uh, everything they've done, according to you know what I've read in this article, is has been above and beyond what I think is expected of a pro wrestling company to do. Uh, so absolutely, like they deserve a ton of praise, and and I hope that's reflected in you know the 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 public image of the company, um, uh, you know, improving. And I really do hope, like maybe even added interest in the actual product. Um, sadly, like. I have to say, like, them taking all these precautions, it's like, it's also keeping them out of the spotlight because they've been, I guess, doing fewer shows uh, for compared to AEW and WWE. And, you know, I'm, I'm try- I try to think, like, if there's, if there's a way that, like, man, like, we can reward responsible, um, I guess, uh, production of these pro wrestling shows. Rather than like, you know, perhaps just talking about them occasionally when a story like this comes out. Yeah, I, I think that you, you look at the the different companies out there that's, you know, you can see the ones that have taken the most significant precautions. Um, yeah, I, I think with Ring of Honor, I, I think more than anything, like if you're a talent there and you've gone through this and realized like, man, you could have like financially, you could have taken a, 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 lar- a much larger hit this year that... I would imagine that that's going to breed uh, an enormous amount of loyalty for a lot of these performers, knowing that uh, this company had your back during a pandemic when they very easily could have said, we're not running shows. We have no revenue coming in and therefore you're you're not being paid during this time. It could have been way worse for many of these performers. And I, I would imagine there's going to be uh, many who will, will weigh that when, at some point in their career, they're looking at, you know, a competing offer or something. I'm sure they will go back to this time period and that will weigh heavy on whatever decision it is about, you know, whether to leave this company or, or stay knowing like this to me is something that uh, you, you do not forget something like this. Perhaps. Raw from Monday night, uh, down 4% in their viewership, a million seven hundred and seventy-seven thousand viewers. Uh, they were down 9% in their uh, 18 to 49 number. That was compared to the draft the prior week. This was going against the NFL game that did 11.3 million viewers. Uh, the difference this week was that they had a much lower first hour. So while there wasn't, um, you know, the you, you had the overall drop because of that first hour throughout the show. Uh, you didn't have much of a third hour drop because of that lower first hour. They were only down six and a half percent this week from the first to the third hour compared to 16 and a half percent last week. So that's a silver lining. Uh, 
There was an increase among uh, young males by 11%. All of their 18 to 49 demos, male and female, were down uh, 9%. And it was interesting. I looked at the the numbers because it's been six weeks now with Monday Night Football competition. So I looked at the previous six weeks without football competition. They are only down 38,000 viewers, and they're equal in their demo number. Like, to me, the NFL has not had this gigantic impact on on raw looking at like a six week average i think that's uh some good news but to me it also tells you that like the people watching right now um are the are your most diehard pro wrestling fans that aren't really watching anything else um no matter what the competition is it also yeah i guess makes you wonder how mm, i think it's the ones who it's like wwe is their priority they are not you know uh, fans that are migrating off to, or like this is, th- th- this kind of represents uh, the the core, right? And I guess what does that say about um, how you know how much further it can drop? Are we at sort of the the base where it, it, we've plat- plateaued, um, or um, what does it say about acquiring those fans that might watch pro- uh, football? Um, but not wrestling, you know, once football is over. I think it's also worth noting, like one thing, like this took a big hit on the NFL and WWE in 2016 around the, the election. And uh, I was listening to a show the other day, the NFL is down roughly the same that they were in 2016. But for like, do you expect like with all these big uh, like cable news is doing like numbers that are through the roof when that lessens after the election, do you think uh, WWE sees any kind of difference uh, ba- based off that instead of looking at at football? Or do you think that this is kind of um, – there's not going to be much of a bump once the election is over with? Um, I, I really don't think it will be a direct result of like the election being over. If anything, it, I think it would have to come with something with the product itself. I I feel like if you're somebody who's choosing to watch cable news over pro wrestling right now, you are probably going to be choosing to do something else or watching something else than pro wrestling once the election's over. Um, I, I, I want something sane. I'm going to put some pro wrestling on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't, I personally don't really see that. Um, Raw was still fourth for the night on, on cable. So, I mean, as much as we look at like where the, these numbers are in relation to other cable programming, I mean, they're still, you know, finishing in the, in that, in that top five uh, consistently. In Canada, they did uh, just over 220,000 viewers, so they were fourth for the night among sports programming behind uh, the uh, Major League Baseball uh, programming that was on. Um, or sorry, the NFL programming. Let us move on to uh, what else did we have here? Uh, Andrew Yang was on Talk is Jericho on Wednesday. It was largely more so about him uh, running for the uh, on the Democratic ticket to try and. Uh, win the leadership and they did talk a little bit about uh, a little bit more about pro wrestling and specifically his plans that if the Democrats win the election, that he can find himself in a position where, you know, he said that he very much wants to pursue this of WWE talent and whether they should be classified as employees and taking this case up with the national labor relations board. Uh, He, you know, even in kind of, you know, selling this uh, idea, 
you know, he does kind of pump the brakes here, noting like there are going to be some difficulties in this because, you know, typically it's it's going to take uh, present uh, members of WWE to kind of step up here or ex-performers. And that's always been the history of these kind of movements is are there going to be when push comes to shove, are there going to be those performers that are ultimately going to stand with this uh, with the concern of what that might mean for them? Um so I don't know. It's one that I I view with a healthy amount of skepticism that this is ultimately going to be something where we see a reclassification of independent contractors in WWE or if it even reaches the stage where it would be ruled upon. You have to go through so many different steps and seeing the blueprint in MMA uh, through what Leslie Smith has been doing, like she was just trying to get fighters to anonymously sign up for Project Spearhead, to, which was this group to just get numbers together to be able to try and, and classify themselves just to take the beginning steps. And it was like, it was very difficult just to get fighters to sign up anonymously. And that to me is a much more free enterprise system than we see uh, among WWE talent. But, um, you know, Andrew Yang, I think it's one where this election, uh, pro, pro wrestling, there is kind of this interesting uh, topic that's attached to it. Whether it's actually able to materialize is, is another thing. But Andrew Yang seems to be the one that is going to champion this. And we'll, we'll see if there's actually substance to this, if the Democrats are in power and if this is something that can get pushed through and be a real uh, subject. No doubt. Like any change that's going to take place will, will probably take years and tons of litigation to properly put in place. But I think WWE will, will fight that yeah. so hard. Um, yeah. And that'll be, you're right. It would probably be years, but at the very least, I think we in throughout the history of this entire thing might be closer than we've ever been by sheer fact that this is even getting discussed and it's even getting talked about by a relatively mainstream figure in Andrew Yang, who just so happens to be a lifelong wrestling fan that cares enough about this thing, uh, that it, he, you know, he, he, it at least stands a chance that this thing might be on a future president's radar. Uh, so just to even like, I think have more people have more of the audience be aware that this is a problem. I think that's progress. I think that's, you know, at least a tiny baby step in the right direction. It was also interesting that Chris Jericho brought up in this that one of the big differences in AEW is that unlike WWE, uh, the talent, they are not paying for their rental cars, their hotels. That's all covered by the company. And that might seem like a small thing, but it's for, for a talent that's on the road, uh, that's that's a significant ease on your budget if you're a talent. And you explain that to somebody in pro sports or any kind of uh, avenue of entertainment. Like it's, it's stunning that, you know, your WWE talent, yes, their flights are covered, but you know, you uh, on the former house show system, like you land in Corpus Christi on a Friday, you're going to all those towns and you're booking your hotels, your cars. Those are your expenses. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think the way it was brought up by Jericho was the fact that the cons, are running AEW like they're running an NFL team or like they're a football team, you know, and that's, uh, I guess, paying for flights and paying for travel uh, and, and expenses and things like that. So, 
even even a talking point like that not really getting brought up and discussed until you know a conversation like this i find kind of fascinating so i mean it's a combination of having wrestlers having uh i was gonna say wrestlers having more alternatives now but i guess like you know i don't know how many alternatives they really have this year um uh, now that all this stuff has happened but it, it, at least aew is presenting a system that you know shows you can run a company uh by fixing some of these these issues uh, last thing, uh, just because I don't think we'll get to talk about it later this week, but uh, some impact news. They announced on Wednesday that they've signed their knockouts champion, Deanna Perrazzo, to a, a long-term deal. And Bound for Glory is on Saturday night. I did see the show on Tuesday night. And the lineup we have is Eric Young and Rich Swan for the impact title. Deanna Perrazzo against Kylie Ray. Uh, we have a four-way tag title match with the Motor City Machine Guns defending against the Good Brothers, the North, and Ace Austin and Madman Fulton, Rohit Raju, Chris Bay, Jordan Grace, TJP, Trey Miguel, and Willie Mack in a six-way intergender scramble match for the X Division title. Moose against EC3, that will be uh, their on-location match. They're going to fight in the narrative that EC3 is controlling. In the narrative? What? It sounds really wild, but EC3, I thought, was really great on Tuesday's show. He did this taped segment with Jimmy Jacobs, and like he is a promo that was significantly above the rank and file on Tuesday. There were some very good promos for this go-home show. Um, Eric Young has been doing some great work. Both Deanna Perrazzo and Kylie Ray uh, cut you know very strong promos building up their match, uh, and EC3 as well. Like Those four... I, I thought they were the strongest promos on the show. Uh, and then the rest of the card has Eddie Edwards against Ken Shamrock, who's also being inducted into their Hall of Fame on Saturday. And then a call-your-shot gauntlet match uh, with AC Romero, Alicia Edwards, Cody Diener, Brian Myers, Havoc, Heath, Hernandez, Larry D, Rhino, Taya Valkyrie, Tennille Dashwood, Tommy Dreamer, and one mystery person. If Heath or Rhino win... Then Heath also wins a full-time contract with Impact Wrestling. If neither of them win, then Rhino is fired. And Rhino will be entering the gauntlet first. Uh, so the winner gets to choose any championship that they want to challenge for. Let's get into Dynamite hey, on Wednesday. Coming up this yes. week. Coming, coming up this week, we've got uh, Thompson and Bushby's Wrestling Adventure. As they're going to be chatting about Slammiversary 2018. While we're all talking about Bound for Glory... They're going back to Slammiversary from Toronto in 2018, a totally different roster. Yeah, it's a chance to uh, hear those two talk about an event that I think we, I still remember pretty well, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm just merely curious to hear more of, of uh, Bushby and Thompson talking together. It's a very uh, fun chemistry that the two have reviewing old wrestling shows every two weeks, and that'll be available on the British Wrestling Experience feed, uh, but we'll probably have it up on our free feed as well. So. Watch out for that and subscribe to the British Wrestling Experience. Yes, for sure. Check that out on Friday. We'll have Rewind to SmackDown uh, live at 10.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll also do a Hell in a Cell preview on Friday night and take your calls. Saturday is a very busy day. Uh, we're going to have, well, we'll have a UFC 254 preview show out Friday with Cody Safdick joining me. And then the post show Saturday early evening. The pay-per-view should be over by 5 o'clock Eastern and Phil Chertok and I will go live at youtube.com slash postwrestling for a whole rundown of the card from Abu Dhabi featuring Khabib Nurmagomedov and Justin Gaethje for the lightweight title. 
And Saturday night, it's doubleheader day at Post Wrestling. Nate Milton, Davey Portman will be hosting the Bound for Glory post show and take you through all of what goes down from Nashville on Saturday night. And then Way and I are back Sunday night with the Hell in a Cell post show. We'll be live for our double-double ice cap and espresso members of the cafe to chat about the card that, uh, as was pointed out tonight, uh, has less matches announced than AEW's next pay-per-view has announced. Oh, wow. Yeah. Interesting. We've got four matches on Sunday, which is fine with me. I, I'm fine with a four-match card. I, I, I am too, but I'm sure they'll announce a few more uh, after Friday. But uh, again, our friends at Up Next have a really busy week. Not only can you listen by this point to their NXT review tonight on their feed, but yesterday they released a version of their, their best match ever, Hell in a Cell, talking about the greatest Hell in a Cell matches of all time. And if you have your thoughts, please share with those guys on tomorrow on the free feed they're also releasing their latest movie review uh this one this time talking about batman return so all that you can find for free on the up next feed by searching for your favorite podcasts and then uh this weekend for bound for glory and for hell in a cell davy will be running live watch along so youtube.com slash up next to join those guys watch with your friends and the biggest news no more double cupping of drinks as Tim Hortons embraces the sleeve. I mean, they've always had sleeves. I don't know why, like, they wouldn't just do that. Dude, when I read this, that because of this double cupping practice, they will save roughly 200 million cups from being tossed in the garbage every year. 200 million. That's insanity. Yeah, that's insane. I don't know why they wouldn't have instituted this before. Like, Did they just wake up today and the environment was a concern? They've been throwing yeah. 200 million extra cups out. Well, I don't even this know is... why they use black lids or dark colored lids because we can't recycle those here. I think that not enough pla- – like a lot of like smaller coffee places encourage this, but your big chains never. And that is like bringing in your own thermos just to have them that fill now. it up. Uh, you can't now, but I'm saying even in regular times that it's not something – Starbucks, they'll yeah. do it, but they don't really make a big deal out of it. Tim Hortons, I've never seen that ever. Yeah, that I needs, mean – That needs to be something that's more – well, I, I, I was going to say more widely accepted, but you're right. Right now, that's uh, more difficult. It could but. be health concern. could be a time concern too. Like imagine giving a thermos through like a drive through window. Um, but like certainly like something, you know, more, uh, sustainable as far as like the, cu- the cups and the, the, pl- the plastics, you, like, I, and maybe you have different, um, recycling, I guess, um, uh, rules where you live, but in Ontario, or at least in Toronto, you can't recycle co- wax coffee cups. You can't recycle black lids in most places use both of these things. So it's just like, it's, and it's awkward placing one of these things in the garbage. It's like big and full and just takes up space. So, uh, I'm all for the sleeping. All right. Now we can get into Dynamite. We had the four opening round tournament matches in the world title eliminator. Kicking things off was Wardlow against Jungle Boy. And I really liked like the premise of this match because I thought this was like a really interesting match of who goes over. And I think like a deeper point is that in watching it, I never had any doubt that I was going to get a finish for this, even though you could make the arguments of, like, who who are they going to beat here? I think that's a bigger effect that mm-hmm. people get drawn to, a, like, not just AEW, but AEW's in that uh, 
under that umbrella of you have faith that when a match is booked, you're getting a finish. And we got one here. I, you know, anytime they, they announce a match, um, I always at least have some level of anticipation for it because I know in the end I am going to get a winner or a loser. That is huge. Raw, you know, you mentioned, or what is it? Like, it's different, I guess, for the pay-per-views. But even then, like, man, sometimes you, you have, like, bogus finishes. Oftentimes you have bogus finishes there, too. But How, on how Raw, many times do we do a preview and there's some, like, big match and one of our options is always... Well, someone can do a run in and screw this guy or something like that. Like that's not sure. where like not to say AEW is immune from doing that, but it's hardly a crutch. And they kind of are actually like when was the last like how often how many DQ finishes have they had over the past year? Oh, I'm not even saying like just I'm just saying even a run in because DQs oh. and countouts. That's the whole premise of Brandon Cutler and Peter Avalon is that there have been none on Dynamite. And here they have had two on Dark. Yeah. So. um yeah, like if and at least that's pay per view. Like if it's a paper WWE pay per view and they announce something, I'm like, okay, we have a higher chance of getting a finish here. If they announce Keith Lee versus Braun Strowman on Raw, forget about it. I don't give a shit, no matter what, because I know for sure you're not going to do anything. And we, I guess, we got to finish on Monday via low blow. Um, so I don't know. That's I, a bigger problem than people make it out to be. Because it, when you have that feeling, I think a lot of people think that exact same thing. It doesn't matter what you're announcing. If there's no faith, then you don't care about the match and you can't even hotshot stuff. Um, but anyway, Jungle Boy, the story early on is he's just trying to get Wardlow off his feet. He's going for the legs. Wardlow catches him off the apron, throws Jungle Boy into the post, which Excalibur notes these are not, not rounded posts, they have edges. So when you get your back driven in, there is no give here. You are hitting an angle. Yeah, it's not like those sissy rounded posts. Inside out lariat by Wardlow. Uh, Jungle Boy stops him with a knee strike coming off the buckle. And then a missile drop kick sends Wardlow to the floor. Tope Suicida. And then a twisting springboard tornado DDT gets Wardlow down. And then he does a kip up getting back to his feet. On the turnbuckle, Jungle Boy reverses off the shoulders and hits a super Hurricane Rana. Then a backstabber out of the corner. He's, you know, teasing victory here. But then when he tries another Tornado DDT to the floor, he's caught. F10 into the ring. Wardlow hits another one inside. And he pins Jungle Boy. Jim Ross notes, athletic big men sell tickets. Mm, yeah. I, I thought this was like a pretty decent David Goliath goliath match that showcased wardlow pretty well and i think jungle boy did really well here he provided a really likable agile baby face for wardlow to just beat up essentially these two had pretty good chemistry i think wardlow's presence as a big man felt pretty natural here he hasn't had like too many in-ring matches on dynamite you know since he's been around but you really don't see any nervousness in him if there is he appears to be very confident, very fitting of the role, despite, I think, you know, being relatively new or relatively young. So, you know, at the moment, he's a bit of a generic bodyguard, but um, I they did tease a bit of depth within him. You remember, like, the skit he had with MJF? Yep. Where Wardlow was revealed to be gr- begrudgingly serving MJF in order to provide for his family, and you had MJF threatened to fire him? That must have been, like, it was either an early tease or maybe they've shelved that story for now, but... Um, I definitely want to see like some new levels to this guy. He, I think he's on a very good path right now. There's a ton of potential 
um, maybe the tournament will will kind of help him level up. Yeah, the only thing standing in front of this guy is the depth in AEW because I see a lot of potential in him when they're ready to pull the trigger. He's very athletic. Like you can see that he's you know not like you know a guy that you can snap your fingers and he's a top heel, but I mean he has. Give that foundation time. that, yeah, he just needs time, experience, and I think he could be a very big deal at some point. And I'm sure they see that in him. Then we have, uh, they showed clips of additional content from last week after they went off the air of Eddie Kingston's promo attacking Moxley, telling him that he died for the sport. All he has is wrestling. Moxley went off to make millions as an entertainer, and he's going to make Moxley quit. And they confirm that it is an I quit match at full gear with John Moxley requesting this match due to the fact he has beaten the top five. And therefore, AEW has given him this match with Kingston. Oh, interesting. Okay. I like the explanation. You know, they, um, they had the, it in there. So it's it, obviously it, listening. Yeah, you don't you don't always have to stick with the 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 whole like straightforward ranking system. I I I will buy anything with a decent explanation. So just even that little thing. All right, cool. I I don't know if this little Kingston promo was like a moment of improv from him at the end of a show or what, but I just I love like the organic feeling of this occurring kind of off air and almost feeling a little bit unplanned. It felt really real. I'm just looking at these rankings. So number one is Brian Cage, who, yes, Moxley beat. MJF is number two. He beat him. Lance Archer, number three. He beat him. Brody Lee is number four. Do you have any earthly idea who is ranked fifth? Um, Fifth. Okay. Is it Ricky Starks? He has a 14-2 and two record this year. This is insane. It is Sean Spears. Oh, interesting. Okay. Did he beat him? I don't think Moxley has beaten Sean Spears. Well, I mean, he's on he's he's racking it up on on Dark. Yeah. Um, I mean, it it just shows you like if when Sean Spears all of a sudden is uh thrust into something. I mean, they have this whole build that's going on that if you're following Dark, then you'd be aware of. So, we come back from break. Yeah. And John Moxley has a, a promo segment. He says no one was happier than him when Eddie Kingston signed with AEW. He loved Eddie. He keeps a very small circle, but he doesn't know who this guy is. He's miserable. He's whiny. He thinks the world owes him something. I will not apologize for my success, for buying my mother a house and touring around the, the world, running my body into the ground so that my family can have a better life. On November 7th, Eddie Kingston will verbally quit. And if he doesn't, I will beat and torture him until he gets his friend back or he will end Eddie Kingston. I Man, I, I thought in the span of like these four minutes, like these two promos back to back, like immediately shot this feud up to feeling like the hottest in the company. These were home run promos oh. from these two. And this, we, we were going to get the other Kingston promo. This was just like the, the stuff that didn't make it to air last week. And then we got another Kingston promo, but they were... It's just what we said last week. Let these two talk. Moxley is seriously one of the best promos this year, and I don't think he gets enough uh, attention. It's just being like the perfect promo for John Moxley's character. Like he is so zoned in on 
who he is and building up these matches as your babyface badass champion. Uh, I thought they they totally sold you in these promo segments tonight. I think he's really good, but I you know some of these feuds he's had like with Brody Lee with um what is it Lance Archer or Jake Hager to me like they haven't really hit hit me like that hard because I don't think the story's really been strong and I don't know if the other side has really been as strong promo wise. That all changes with Eddie Kingston because in these short few minutes they've effectively conveyed a deep history between the two and they introduced a dispute that I think is very real and very relatable. We came up together. You left the nest to achieve success representing all of us. And then you never came back. That's it. That's Eddie Kingston's argument. And, And Moxley's rebuttal is, well, I was successful, but it didn't come easy. I had to work really hard for it. And I had to be successful because I had to provide for my family and I have nothing to apologize for. Both men have really compelling arguments. And in the end, it makes a situation where I really want to see the two of them fight. So, man, like, even, like, adding the I quit stipulation at the end of it, I don't know if the idea from the get-go was, like, oh, like, to have, what is it, Moxley choke Kingston out and have him pass out. Because, like, that match came about because Lance Archer couldn't make it that day. So I don't know if that was always the idea or not, but the idea that this guy passed out to you in a prior match and then it leads to him challenging or Moxley challenging him to an I quit match in order to actually get him to verbalize quitting, I think is just an incredibly logical, sensical way of introducing a stipulation to a wrestling match uh, rather than just, you know, throwing my, throwing them out mindlessly just to sell a pay-per-view. Like the whole thing like has been a really, you know, like step-by-step logical story. Just setting up the first match. It was just Kingston clinging on to that fact that like he technically didn't get eliminated in the casino battle royale which i mean it was just like who's the person to be the substitute it's the guy who said he wasn't eliminated it made perfect sense um you know what would have been i I really believe like it would have been great if he won the battle royal and the next match lost a two-minute match and you never heard from him again (laughs) yeah exactly or um i yeah uh I'm, I'm trying to think what. To a table. Yeah, and then we wouldn't do a finish in the I Quit match because it would hurt either guy too much. Yes. Sunny Kiss and Kenny Omega, our second opening round match. We've got a new intro from Oxley where this music is playing. Omega and just. Uh, sorry, yeah, I have Moxley written down here, but Kenny Omega, yes. So Justin Roberts introduces Omega the mega champion of AAA, PWI's number one wrestler on the PWI 500, the Wrestling Observer Wrestler of the Year, Sports Illustrated's Wrestler of the Year, the man who broke Meltzer's scale. He is so fluent in Japanese that he sometimes translates for Michael Nakazawa and once performed in North Carolina. And we see a silhouette of Kenny Omega as these two women are out Sweeping with brooms as they cut into battle cry as Omega comes out as just the most detestable heel. Yeah, it's his new, very over the top, um, yeah, cocky heel type of entrance. Uh, it's we are reestablishing Kenny Omega. This is where Excalibur mentions that Joey Janela removed himself from the match. Omega shakes hands with Kiss. V-Trigger, One-Winged Angel, and pin Sunny Kiss in 26 seconds. 
and afterwards picks up Kiss, gives a hug, but is doing it in such a disingenuous fashion that you clearly saw what the like this new direction for Kenny Omega. And part of this was like the way Kenny had set this up was the idea that he's this incredible tournament wrestler. So you got the sense, man, this guy's going to have his own little mini G1 in three weeks. And he comes out and just runs through Sonny Kiss, which for where they're going probably works best. Do you think that this was the they this was the mirrored match that Janela would have had? Or do you think that this was adjusted for the replacement? I have to think it was probably a similar match. Um, and I imagine the show had to have been timed out by the time whenever they found out today about the, the change that had to happen. I can't imagine they made significant adjustments. I also feel like they'd be more likely to job Janela out, like to put Janela in that situation than they would Sonny Kiss. I mean, I feel like Sonny Kiss is somebody that they would be like, um, I, I was a little disappointed that this had to be Sonny Kiss, to be honest with you, because I think Sonny Kiss is somebody who is still trying to really struggle to get established on Dynamite. Somebody who has been on a bit of an upswing, even though like you rarely see Sonny Kiss um, on Dynamite. But I don't know if I would have put, put Sonny Kiss into like this particular situation. Um, it could have been really anybody else on Dark, you know, a Pedro Avalon or a 10, QT Marshall, whatever, right? But I guess they... I, th- I think yeah, you have to be at a, sig- a certain level. Like I'm not saying you have to be one of the top guys, but you need to be, you know, middle of the pack for given the fact this is for the world title tournament that I don't think you could just slide in like a Peter Avalon. Sure. And but I mean, I don't can you really justify Sonny Kiss either? You know, it's it's the fact that he's Joey Janela's tag team partner. I, I, I get it. It's fine. And and, and by the end I, I don't think it really matters. Like you you'll forget about this in like a few months. Um I'm intrigued by the new direction for Kenny. I think if you really look at the show, like it does kind of show that there are a lot of ambiguous heels in the elite right now. Um, Kenny, you know, like the all Bucks. Of them? Yeah, pretty much all of them, except Paige, who I think is a bit more cut and dry, but like Cody for sure. So um, I don't know if that's all like on purpose to put them all kind of in a similar situation like this, or maybe it's just a weird coincidence. But I, in this case, I do have a bit more faith in a logical payoff. Yeah, I, I think this is the kickoff for Kenny Omega that this will be the direction for him. Um, and this tournament is really going to expedite that. Like, I think th- this is one where I think everyone knows what the final is and there is no, there's no reason. Like that, again, would be, it's so obvious where the finals are going. And I think it's 100% we're getting that final. I don't think there's yep. going to be, oh, people know we have to surprise them. They'll never see it coming that we're going to get uh, uh, Phoenix and Wardlow in the final. Well, I mean, it was obvious that the Bucks were going to win that tag title shot tonight. And which is fine. I mean, why why would you do something that's a that's a worse idea just because people can see where the story is going? If I watch Star Wars, I think it's obvious to me that Luke Skywalker will have a final encounter with the Emperor. And there's no need for you to change that. I just want to see the steps he takes to get there. What a... You all, yeah, sorry. Yeah. No, I'm just saying you, you can always have the point of the story that you can do a surprise along the way, but it can't be in those building blocks that just defeat the whole purpose of the story and take it apart. Like, you can still have twists and turns and still get to your destination. But if you alter the entire course, you've just 
you've ruined your own story. And I think that's something that not just WWE, a lot of companies have fallen into that trap of the audience knows so much. Well, it's they're trying to follow like uh, the the narrative path that you're trying to explain. Like people should be able to kind of grasp where things are going and then you can do different ways to get to that destination, but don't adjust the destination just to surprise people. So we should expect Kenny Omega to reveal himself as Hangman Page's father? Well, of course. Where else could this be going? Yeah. Eddie, um, Shivani interviewed Orange Cassidy earlier in the day and asked him about last week's time limit draw. Orange said, sometimes calls go your, go your way, sometimes they don't. Jim Ross called this compelling content. Cody and Arn arrived in a limo. Dasha interviewed Cody, who has heard rumors that next week's rematch with Orange could have a stipulation attached to it. Orange has to beat him. He doesn't have to beat Orange. And Orange couldn't do it last week. He doesn't think he can do it next week. And they note that Cody has put on 14 pounds of muscle during his time away because this is a light heavyweight company, but it's time to become a true heavyweight given some of the names he has faced recently, like Archer, Jake Hager, and Brody Lee, and calls himself the giant killer of late. Which, given the success, I mean, maybe maybe the light heavyweight frame was... I mean, he's he's done very well with it. It's interesting to hear him call AEW a light heavyweight company. Um, that's like... I mean, it's, it's accurate, but like the term light heavyweight has ha- had such a negative stigma attached to it over the past several decades. Um, in wrestling, that I, I'm I was almost a little caught off guard by him saying that, you know. But the the fact that he has no shame in describing like the reality of the the average size of the people on this roster, I mean, I think it's great. You imagine John Jones walking in to Daly's place; he would tower over these people. Uh, he, he, would he? Like, how how? What is the average weight of like what? What is Cody's weight? Legit. What do you think? Oh, Cody's weight legit? Uh, I don't know. At least, at least like, 205. Come on. I would be saying, like, yeah, 215 in that in that neighborhood. I mean, John Jones probably walks around at, like, 225. Right. And probably bigger now since he's moving up. Yeah, you know, uh, Cody, I don't know about you, like, but I, I thought he came across, like, very subtly cocky and almost dismissive. Like, he had a line here where he was almost complaining about how fast AEW is rebooking this match. And some lines about like not really giving Orange Cassidy a chance. So uh, another ambiguously heel member of the elite. Well, they're all consistent then. Yeah. Eddie Kingston laughs off Moxley's comments. He puts over Penta and Phoenix as well as Butcher and the Blade. He says Moxley may have to call his old boss back to get his job. Moxley, he says, he had to become bitter and a snake. He said, I hate who I've become, but I had to because my ends justify my means. When I wasn't a snake, I got nothing. But now I'm getting an AEW title shot. I've never quit at anything in my life. And John, you're going to have to go to a really dark place. And that's where I live. Awesome. Awesome stuff. I mean, these two don't really have a whole lot of time like to build to it. I mean, it's what? Well, I guess they have two more episodes of, of Dynamite. But I mean, just in this one episode alone, they've they've done a lot of work. 
I don't think a whole lot needs to be done. Mm-hmm. I am worried, though. Could they possibly do this match without a contract signing, though? You can't have a title match without a contract signing, right? Maybe a, a steak dinner where they break into song. That I would hate with these two, although it'd be pretty entertaining. Penta L0M versus Ray Phoenix. We had Eddie Kingston come out on commentary. The two shook hands and... Okay, we, we get one of these per show in the in this COVID era. In front of a crowd, this would have been so insane. <laughs> I'm just gonna say That's that this one. is my match I'm using it for. This can be we we can only use it for one match per show. This is the one I'm using my state the obvious comment on. Yeah, Penta I... Penta early on, he's going for the package pile drivers. It's constant reversals and counters, and both get to their feet. Uh, to their credit, those that were on the floor and around were trying to make this feel as important as possible and really getting into it. Like when you have wrestlers chanting, this is awesome, they're clearly going out to try and make this uh, something. And Eddie Kingston. What, you don't think a wrestler would genuinely think, oh, no. this is awesome. I have to say it repeatedly. This is. How can I convey that this is awesome? Wait, this is awesome. Four syllables. What if I got these five people next to me to join me? What What if they fought forever? How would they know that I, I want them to fight forever? <laughs> how will they know I'm thinking this? Um, dude, Eddie Kingston was great on commentary here too. I feel this is just like the Eddie Kingston appreciation show, but he was – I thought he did such a great job of making it feel like Phoenix and Pentagon for these 15 minutes – we're like the two best wrestlers in the world. And we're yeah. seeing a match that we should not be seeing if not for this tournament format. Absolutely. Like he's got a, he, he did. I mean, I say, I said they did a lot of work with that program. He did a lot of work for not just the, the, the program with Moxley, but for his group as well. He spent the better portion of his um, promo earlier talking about Phoenix and Penta and Butcher and the Blade updating us on that. So he's wearing multiple hats and uh, I think he's juggling pretty well. It's a crime. This guy did not have a contract. Before this year. What's amazing how much like they're giving him just uh, like he started in the summer. You know, he's earned it, man. Like from that first appearance onward, like right down to the contract, like he, this is, I I really watch this and don't see like any of this stuff as being like, I think this guy has just come out every time and hit it out of the park and they have taken notice of no argument. I don't think from anybody like the guy proves it, that he's deserving of the spot. Anytime he opens his mouth, it's, yeah, no argument. They're trading chops. Phoenix does a springboard, but gets met with a super kick. Uh, they go to the apron. Phoenix then leaps off the middle rope into a tornillo off the top to the floor. Look, it was just breathtaking. Then he scales the top. He runs across the top rope, and Penta pulls down the rope, knocking Phoenix off balance. He uh, Penta then misses with a chop, slapping the post, and there's a sling blade off the middle rope uh, by Pentagon later as they return to the ring. Then Phoenix hits a flying head scissors, and the announcers think that Phoenix might have uh, had his bell rung here. And he seemed very shaky on the ropes afterwards. And then he springboards to the top, and after seeing like he was a little off balance, I was very nervous about this. But then the dude just nails a one-man Spanish fly off the top. Eddie Kingston is just putting these two over as just tearing the house down then pentagon after kicking out of this spanish fly 
does a pop-up to Phoenix who rotates over in midair coming down into a powerbomb, which looked unbelievable. Pentagon snaps the arm. He's calling for the finish when Phoenix, out of nowhere, does a tilt-a-whirl into a Canadian destroyer and pins Pentagon in 14 minutes and 12 seconds. Uh, you know, Phoenix has had some great matches uh, here and there. I think overall, people have like looked at this act as being underutilized during this year. I think, hands down, this was Pentagon's uh, best 15 minutes uh, since joining AEW, at least since Dynamite's begun. Yeah, it's hard for me. They, to they did have the Bucks matches on the on the pay per views, so the, oh. those were those were high points. But in terms of Dynamite, uh, this would to me be Pentagon's strongest uh, match. Well, first in a long time, at least I think we can pretty definitively sure. say. Yeah, um, I thought this. I thought this was incredible. It was very good. I mean, I I, I know where I I think you used your one complaint in the right spot, John, because especially for this match that we've seen before, I believe we saw this live. Um, That's right. Um, at a Wrestle- th- this was at the uh, the WrestleCon Super Show last year. Yeah. So, like, seeing a version of this without the same atmosphere of, like, people going nuts for, for these moves, it definitely, you know, it's hard to maybe separate yourself from, like, those memories. But um, I think it did its job at, by the end of making Phoenix feel like a very special underdog here. Uh, despite him being a heel as part of this team, I mean of course like the the guy's destiny is is being a future top baby face and this sets up uh omega and phoenix on tv next week or phoenix has, might play baby face i think he 100 percent will be the clear-cut baby face in that match yeah mm-hmm. they recap the arcade machine being destroyed last week the best friend said it was an accident miro wanted to be friends with everyone best friends fucked that up it's a lame feud. Sorry. Like, I know it just started. At least started. this only took uh, 30 seconds of TV. Like, they're mad because their joystick was one, the one-of-a-kind one joystick was broken. The automated Majestics Arcade Network. I'm sure to somebody, like, this was, oh my god, I can't believe they mentioned the Majestic Arcade Network on TV. I'm so into this. Sure, there's somebody out there, but I, I don't know. I Maybe it's, um... Maybe it's a younger demographic that they're after. Alex Marvez spoke with Colt Cabana, Alex Reynolds, and John Silver. They've got Dark Order has a big night tonight, being that they're in the four-way. Cabana says he's on a mission to become the champion. He has a great singles record and feels zero pressure. John Silver says, I don't even like you, Colt, but you're going to be the next champion. We're going to win the tag titles. Brody's going to win back the TNT title. And the entire Dark Order is going to be out there next week for the TNT title rematch between Cassidy and Cody. And John Silver unsuccessfully tried to start a Brody chant. Yeah, they were um, putting definitely, I would say definitely putting um, a bigger spotlight on John Silver throughout this episode, not just, uh, of course, in ring and the match later on, but here having him really play a bit more of his um, being the elite personality on TV. And I think obviously the right choice. I mean, he is the, the star of being the elite you have something that people are really enjoying on the internet uh, and time to, you know, maybe how did you feel about this transition? Do you think he came across well? I th- I think he's a great personality. I do worry about them kind of exploiting it now so that it's becoming uh, like they're just going to the well so often 
with this John Silver character, but I think it's ultimately good for the team. Like they, Silver and Reynolds now have that identity, and mm-hmm. Silver is the star of the group. I, I guess it's just you don't want him to just become like we're. It's almost like forced at times that he's got to be like the overly energetic character that we see on being the elite, and it's just more and more uh, time that's uh, dedicated to it. Right. And what is the deal with Colt? I feel like I've missed something. Like, is he Dark Order or not? He's not officially in Dark Order. He's a, he's friends with them. But but John Silver doesn't like him. Yeah, I guess I guess not. That was news to me here. Yeah, uh, I don't know if it's been all that clear. Like, maybe on Being the Elite, they've been crystal clear about it, but I I can't really like. I feel like I I keep up with Being the Elite decently, and I just I I see him like you know getting bananas like uh he's got a he's michael he's, nakazawa he's got a different face he's michael nakazawa on being the elite he's <laughs> not even involved with them it's true like that's that storyline so i i it's been really difficult for me to keep up with this cult dark order thing i i feel like it's really lost momentum and it's just kind of there um you know still so i could definitely use a bit of an update I, and i can't really say it's been all that compelling Colt Cabana, Hangman Page, our final opening round match. Uh, Page hit a Pescado to the floor. He's working with a lot of urgency. They're they're reminding us of the time limit, which would result in no one advancing. You wouldn't want to have a Shawn Michaels comma situation. I haven't even started yet. That's uh, unfortunate. You have a lot to sit through. Oh, God. Give yourself ample time slash days to get through King of the Ring 95. Spoiler, okay. it's a dreadful show. Page hit a fallaway slam. Evil Uno is out as Cabana comes back with a tilt-a-whirl head scissors. Then Cabana counters a sunset flip, gets a two count. Page then is shoved off the top, crashes on the floor. Cabana sets up for the Chicago skyline, but it's blocked. Page lands on the apron, and Cabana ducks the buckshot lariat and gets the Superman pin for a two-count. Page goes back to the apron, fakes out Cabana, and then hits the buckshot lariat to win in 10:51. I, I thought this was, like, a, a good match. I, I liked the finish, the finishing sequence uh, between them. Not, like, the match of the show, but I thought good for the 11 minutes they had. I thought it was pretty average, um, and, you know, this is a show that's usually, like, batting above average, so... In that sense, maybe a bit on the lower end, but like it was perfectly fine. I I also like the finish. I like the repeated attempts at the buckshot lariat and then Page at the end having to like you know fake out Cabana in order to really hit it. But uh, it, it was an opening round match. It, it's it's a good finisher in uh, it, it's it's a difficult finisher because it can be very uh, plotting to set that thing up and you know keep the person staggering and then you're going for it. But I think Page has now. Uh, come up with all these cool ways to set it up that, you know, just all of this uh, ways that you get to the apron now that you almost make it like it comes out of nowhere instead of this, you know, step one, two, and three to set the the move up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Dark Order is then tending to Cabana, and they note this is very unlike them to help one of their own when they've just lost. And this will lead to Page and Wardlow next week. So, so what do you read into the Dark Order Cabana stuff there? Um, truthfully, I have no idea. Hmm. I don't know where any of this has necessarily, uh, where, where any of it's going, which is fine, but 
I feel it's just been going in this direction for a long time, and this is we just continue. And Brody Lee's missing. Yeah. Sammy Guevara and Matt Hardy. We saw Sammy Guevara burn a photo with the date November seventh written on it, and they're going to have a uh, what's it called? Elite deletion match at the pay per view. Elite deletion. Yeah. What does that mean? Uh, it means it will be taped. Oh. Probably for the best for these two. Oh, okay, so like a final deletion type of thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. cool, cool, cool. Awesome. Well, I think that's going to probably be very good with these two in that environment as opposed to just doing a straight-up match. Oh, I don't know if anybody really wants to see like a, a hardcore match like live from these two. I think I think the tape thing, uh, the cinematic match thing, I'm actually excited. Sure. Will there be a spot where Sammy Guevara spears Matt Hardy off of a high-rise and they cut to the the fall to replicate the spot that they did at the last pay-per-view. Ooh, um I almost I, feel that that has to be the end where it's Matt Hardy driving Guevara off. They can do it with like the cut or with a crash pad and I, then that's the end. I think he should do it but spearing him into the lake of reincarnation. Yes. Yeah. Team Taz is on the ramp. Taz addresses Will Hobbs. He has not yet accepted their invite to join, so he better decide. And then Taz, he's just playing Dennis Miller here. He's going to go on a rant. He says, Darby Allen getting a TNT title shot absolutely burns my ass. (laughs) (laughs) He, He describes Tony Khan pulling me into his office just to tell me, if Ricky Starts had beaten Darby Allen a few weeks ago, he would have gotten the shot. No shit. Thanks. And Taz is fuming because Ricky Starks fell victim to some Fugazi finish, even though Ricky's won nine out of his last ten matches. Starks then cut a promo, which was pretty good, but you're also following Taz. And he promises to put Darby Allen in the grave, you, pace, you face-painted little bitch. These were two awesome promos, and they let Brian Cage just say, "Who better?" And this was the perfect, uh, this was the perfect assignment of words to promo uh, time necessary. Uh, I, I thought Taz was just fantastic here, and so was Starks. I totally agree. I think um, you had Cage really like. He just needs a line. That's perfect. it. That's like he just looks the part in one or two words. That's all he needs. His his appearance is his promo. He doesn't need to say anything and he'll 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 be that much more intimidating. So, yeah, this was great. Very strong promos <laughs> overall in this show. It absolutely burns my ass. <laughs> you are you going to start using that in daily life? Uh, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> if they don't give me a sleeve the next time at Tim Hortons. <laughs> this coffee's really going to burn my ass, including my hand. All right, then we... Are you ready to talk about Le Dinner Debonair? Let's do it. You know, up until now, wrestling fans, when they hear Debonair, they're thinking of that dope song that Rhino used to come out with. Not after October 21st, 2020. Jericho and MJF are just... Dressed to the nines here, seated somewhere in the back. Jericho's drinking the bubbly. MJF is downing some red wine. He notes, 
I've had better. And their waitress is Velma, who MJF calls Thelma. And our first bit is each one starts with MJF ordering a 20-ounce porterhouse steak well done with a baked potato. Jericho then orders the same thing, but his steak, he wants it medium well. So what does MJF do? He lowers his to medium. Then it ends with Jericho wanting a blue steak. Jericho tells MJF, let's cut to the shit here. You're being rude. We've got a town hall next week to determine if you're going to join. MJF says, listen, we're the two biggest stars in the industry. The demo god and the ratings ruler. Jericho tells him, the ratings ruler sucks. And they both say, it's got as much chance getting over as Orange Cassidy. And immediately these two just look into each other's eyes and they see one another. And they can't help themselves as they proceed to break into song and dance. The next five minutes of television time, there is no justice I can provide that can adequately recap what this was. Other than it was fucking amazing. There, I mean, it's just ridiculous singing from these two. They're mocking the other members of the roster It's like a total bit out of Family Guy. And then they sit down, and the punchline is that their stakes arrive, they look awful, and they just remark, this is disgusting. And that was it. I love this. Man, this was totally not what I was expecting when they announced uh, this steak dinner between these two. Um, And it was absolutely incredible. Like... I just love it whenever I see artists take creative risks. And these two did something I've never before seen on a wrestling TV show. I don't think I ever will again. It's an incredibly absurd idea that I can only imagine probably came out of some random conversation that these two had about a mutual love for Frank Sinatra or something like that. Um, Somebody came up with a ridiculous suggestion and they committed... 1,000% to this ridiculous idea. This song was impressive. The lyrics, I'm sure, took a lot of effort. They were like references to all members of the of, of the roster. Um, doing that whole coordinated song and dance with the what I'm assuming are the Jaguars dancers in only a few takes, and then like the wraparound skit with the rare steak, I, I thought it was excellent. And I don't know... Um, like, by the end of it, I'm like, man, wow. Like, this was a really excellent way of, like, having MJF and Chris Jericho get along famously at a dinner to lead to the next chapter of this story. Um, like, it totally just, it just, it supports these characters. Like, can you imagine prior to tonight, these two, these, J- Chris Jericho, Le Champion, and MJF, Breaking into song, the two dastardly heels. It's like I I don't know. I'm never going to be one of those that oh how can you not like something? But seriously, I I had so much fun watching this. It totally just reinforces these characters. Like you can't break this down that this is some uh, kind of awful thing. Which you know any segment like this is going to have that 
critical debate about it. And everyone's free to have their opinion, but I, I had so much fun watching this. Well, some people just look strictly for, you know, sports in, in their professional wrestling. And I don't think this is a promotion that gives you that. I mean, WWE certainly not a promotion that gives you that. Uh, but AEW Dynamite has, I would say, like, as far on, on the range of, like, you know, where Dynamite has gone, this is definitely out there. Um, it's probably more on the level of something like a Firefly Funhouse, if I have to be honest. But I thought it was made with great care, and it was entertaining as fuck, and it was memorable as fuck. So, I, I, this was this was the highlight of the show. I thought it was so fun, and they it, again. I think it's just very indicative of you know someone coming up with an idea, and they went head first into it. There was no like reservation from either they were super committed to it they like i i really had so much fun watching the segment and at the end of it even if you hated it it's like it's the it's the two big heels of the of the company that their characters would absolutely do something this ridiculous so i i had a great time watching this Britt baker kylan king followed that tony shivani says I understand I'm going to be part of this town hall next week and I won't si- I won't sing. Uh well, he doesn't he doesn't think he will, but come on. How could you resist? Uh Britt Baker is wearing pink for Breast Cancer Awareness Month and the two had a short match. It was 4 minutes. Uh Kylan King is 0 and 11. The graphic read Baker rolls and King counters out of the lockjaw attempt. Uh, we get a roll through. Baker ends up on top and hits her with the curb stomp. As Excalibur notes, she must be a Super Dragon fan. There's a flatliner that sends King into the corner, wraps her around the post, and then Rebel sends King into the ring. King returns with a head kick to, bla- to Baker, and then Baker stops her with a sling blade, DDT, Fisherman's Neckbreaker, a stomp, and then is handed the pink surgical glove and applies the lockjaw in four minutes, five seconds, and Kylan King falls to 0-12. You know, in ring, uh, the couple times we've seen Britt Baker since that dentist match, she is continuing to reestablish herself uh, with a bigger mean streak. You're seeing it reflected in her added focus and aggression as she's doing all these moves. I thought you saw her, like, you really try, like, some really, like, Good-looking new things. Some pretty good chain wrestling from her early on. I really like how all of her offense targets the face and the mouth, uh, leading up to the lockjaw, of course. So I have felt like she's been evolving her game, and it's it's been good to see. Next week on the show, uh, which they, they said that they will return to Daly's Place. They said uh, three live shows in November, with the next one being November 4th. So that would mean next week's show is going to be taped. Um, they announced Hangman Page against Wardlow and Kenny Omega against Phoenix in the semifinal matches. Tainara Conti versus Abaddon, who they did note, Abaddon is ranked number three. Cody versus Orange Cassidy will be a lumberjack match for the TNT title to prevent Dark Order from interfering. So you'll also have baby faces out there. And the Inner Circles Town Hall. Mm-hmm. Which I guess we didn't get a uh, town hall debate with... Uh, the presidential candidate, so AEW is going to fill that that gap. That's the the day right before the the next one. It's tomorrow. What's the format? Oh of shit! Tomorrow? You're right. It's tomorrow. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah it is tomorrow. tomorrow. What's the format? I don't know, but I heard that they included like uh, the ability to mute mics. Yes, yeah, they're gonna have that that function. Oh wow, amazing! Which w- won't have any any repercussions at all. No one's gonna lose their mind when they get muted. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, but you know, like this this tournament, this eliminator thing. You know, we weren't sure if they were gonna give like two of the matches on per episode. They gave the first round here, and it looks like we're gonna get the whole second round next week. Well, I mean, it's uh, you only got two shows, so we, yeah. we gotta we gotta run through these. All right. Uh, next, we had Matt Hardy. Oh, this is where they announced Hardy and Guevara, the elite deletion, and then Darby, Darby Allen, is with Stevo, and we get our jackass intro. I'm Darby Allen, and this is the body bag rolling, and. Darby Allen has a half pipe and he is placed in a body bag and proceeds to trap himself in the body bag and thrusts himself down this half pipe. And Jim Ross summarized the entire segment. Man, that just doesn't look like fun. I'm sorry. Oh man, I would have loved to have like had a camera on Jim Ross while he was watching this. Um, I don't know what this was meant to achieve, but it was kind of fun to watch, which I, which is exactly, I think how I feel what, whenever I've watched Jackass. So, um, I mean, uh, black and white makes everything look artistic, doesn't it? Even this. <laughs> That's, that must be the, the key. So, yeah, this is how he's preparing for his TNT title match. He wrote, like, what is it, face of TNT on the bag? So is he calling himself the face of TNT? Oh, I didn't even make out what, what that said. Okay. So he wants to be the face of TNT. That's why, so he's going to uh, win the thing, win the title, and then uh, hurt himself a bit more? Yeah, I mean, he's he might have, like, a might be the broken face of TNA, or TNA, of TNT. Butcher and the Blade, Private Party, Alex Reynolds and John Silver, and the Young Bucks, four-way, number one contenders match. And, as they established on Dark, the Bunny is back with the Blade and the Butcher, which Eddie Kingston revealed to QT Marshall on Tuesday, and all that's over with. I mean, we really had no explanation about why she left in the first place, and there seemed to be just as little explanation about why she returned. Other than, like, maybe Eddie Kingston, like, on top of everything else, you know, uh, building up his match with John Moxley, uh, getting the, his tag teams over, he's evidently also a great marriage counselor. Well, apparently so. So, there you go. That was, uh, that seems to be the wrap-up of that. She's back he's to being a the busy bunny. week. Yeah. FTR's out on commentary. Matt Hardy is out with Private Party. Early on, Private Party hit the bucks with super kicks. Um... Everyone kind of got their turn with like their their kind of big sequences. Mark Quinn hit this uh, series of dives, ending with a swanton to the floor uh, that Harwood just laughs at of him possibly bruising his tailbone in the process. Then Guevara appears, taking Matt Hardy out as they just brawled away. FTR points out that there are no DQs, but that doesn't mean there are no tag rules. He says, why do you think they're tagging each other? And tells Tony... 
Ole Anderson would be so mad at you. The bunny then gets onto the apron, distracting Silver and Reynolds, allowing uh, Butcher to then uh, attack them. Cassidy gets uh, tossed off the shoulders over the barricade onto the blade. And then John Silver fires up. This was uh, this was like watching um, like Super Mario hit like uh, the get, get the star. Yeah, the invincible star. That's exactly what I was going for. He just hits this. Uh, he misses a double foot stomp to Quinn, but then they uh, the, they double team and Quinn hits Reynolds with a sorry. Quinn gets hit with the stunner into a suplex and then a jackknife cover by Reynolds. The Bucks break it up and this becomes the focus with the Young Bucks constantly breaking up uh, pinfalls. Private Party hits silly string on Reynolds. They go to the top. Jim Ross says they just can't help it. They are compelled to go to the top, and they hit what they describe as the hardy party. And Cash points out to Jim Ross, hey, it worked for them. And then the Butcher and the Blade are in. They hit full death onto Isaiah Cassidy, the best name for a move. Not half, not three quarters, full (laughs) death. The Young Bucks make their latest save. Nick hits just fucking... An incredible offensive flurry that looks awesome. There's a corkscrew to the Butcher and Blade on the floor. He lands on his feet. Double super kick to Butcher. And then they do kind of like the indie Taker, but in Nick executing it off the top, finishes with a senton onto the Butcher. And then they have Cassidy isolated. The Meltzer driver gets stopped by Mark Quinn. So Isaiah Cassidy rolls up Matt Matt Jackson, which was the way Private Party beat them last year in the tag title tournament. But this time Matt counters Cassidy and covers him in 13 minutes and 27 seconds, giving everybody the much uh, the much teased FTR Young Bucks match at full gear. Good match. Um Good showcase, I thought, for Silver and Reynolds and Private Party as well. And really, like, Butcher and the Blade. Um, I think they, you know, everybody knew that this was going to be Bucks versus FTR, but they also saw it as an opportunity to elevate some of these these other teams in the process, and I thought they were successful. Yeah, very very good match, especially, you know, the Bucks is kind of the, what everything was was built around. Um, Some great action, I I thought, uh, throughout many different parts of this, including all the stuff down the stretch at the end. And then FTR entered with beers, uh, and Matt and Nick swatted them away. And then this uh, mysterious timekeeper, whose face is hidden, attacks the Bucks with a chair, and they deliver a spike pile driver. Matt's leg is placed in the chair, and Cash Wheeler comes off the turnbuckle, snapping the leg, and the mystery man is revealed to be Tully Blanchard. So FTR goes off the air, having the advantage, and Matt Jackson with a leg injury two weeks out from the pay-per-view. Was this really any sort of mystery? Like, who um, was underneath that mask? I mean, like... this Only t- if you thought it was so obvious that it was Tully that it must be someone else. Right. Oh, that, that type of psychology. Right. Yes. Okay. Indeed. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it, everything is just proper, sets up the match, you know, with a bit of extra. I, I guess it is notable that, like, the Bucks are pretty much being put on in, like, uh, a full-on babyface role, it seems, right here. Kind of. Um, this angle, certainly. But, I mean, throughout the match, there's, they were still playing, like, the the asshole Bucks. Yeah, true. And without yeah. the context that being the elite has provided, where I think that provides much more of the the depth, which... 
you're either supposed to be aware of or you view it completely separately. But I would say of all the kind of shades of gray elite members, I think the Bucks, it's the most awkward because you just want like a clear dynamic for FTR and the Bucks. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. need to have any complications. And maybe that's the point of this angle at the end is that it deciphers the two, but it's, I, I will say it's, it's hardly a clear picture. Yeah. I thought overall this was a pretty good dynamite, but to me, like the real standout things were the promos. Um, the Eddie Kings, Eddie Kingston was excellent throughout this entire thing. He, he, John Moxley was fantastic. Good promo from Ricky Starks and and uh, Taz as well, and of course that, uh, what do you call it, dinner debonair like that's oh, yeah. that was remarkable. Yeah, I I like the show quite a lot with the the Penta Phoenix match. I I enjoyed the hell out of the dinner the dinner debonair. The four way was strong as well. Um, yeah, I I thought it was a pretty good show. This looks like a pretty strong pay per view lineup that they have already. Uh, we talked about the idea of potentially headlining with the tag titles, but given where the I Quit match is, what, what do you think is the match to put on last? If you're ever going to headline with a tag title match, this is the one to do it with, but I don't know if it trumps the, the I Quit match. I think it might depend on the level of violence in that I Quit match. Um, yeah. That, you know, as, as far as like a match to, to end the show, if you're going to go like a lot of blood, like very violent that might be the more in, like intense match to go off the show with. But if I'm strictly thinking about like my interest level, I'm definitely interested in Moxley versus Kingston now after seeing these promos, but I, it's still FTR versus the Bucks, which is a dream match that we're finally getting to see. Yeah. Like when you think about this card, like assuming we're getting those two, well, we are getting those two, but then assuming Page and Omega and Page, Cody and Darby, you would assume I, uh, that, yeah, I wonder. That one's a hard, harder to pick because do they have Orange Cassidy lose again next week? Yeah, I, I really hate the idea of doing something where it leads to a three-way. That seems to be mm-hmm. just like the the out for it. Um, or maybe Cody like fully turns heel against Orange Cassidy to win. It's possible. Uh, you could go that way. Or maybe but, a bit but, more he, but he just told us how much he loved all of us, and he's his hair color doesn't mean he's going to the dark side. Hmm. Did he lie? Not sure. Not sure. But you know what? Cody Cody versus Darby Allen, I think, would be a big match. Um, Orange Cassidy versus Darby Allen would be an attractive match as well. And Hardy and Guevara in that setting. It'll Ooh. probably be pretty entertaining. Like, if it's the promise of another final deletion, like Matt Hardy type of match, then yeah, that's... Oh, that's, I mean, the elite deletion, I think that's that's what they have to deliver. Mm-hmm. So, man, it, it might be a really close race of what will be the match that would be best served to have a live crowd. We can only pick one. Um, <laughs> You're right. I don't know. Uh, Which one will require the, <laughs> the crowd the most? Uh, Yeah, good question. I don't know. We're going to go to the forum. We have quite a bit of feedback here for Dynamite, so we'll get to as much as we can. The poll, though, giving this show an 8.54. Damn. Wow. Strong number, even by AEW standards, which is usually, uh, you know, tops the seven mark. Andy from London gets us be, uh, started. I am, I, just thoroughly, I am just thoroughly entertained by Dynamite every week. It presents the extremes of pro wrestling, and fortunately for me, everything hits my taste. This week is the most amazing example of this yet. A super pro wrestling match in Phoenix Penta, followed later in the show by the absolute bizarre brilliance of Jericho MJF breaking out into song. 
After the train wreck that was Raw on Monday, it really puts it into context how much easier this show is to enjoy than WWE. Obviously, the usual comparison is of Dynamite with NXT, but as you will have both watched every Dynamite and Raw this year, I'm curious how many Raw shows do you think you have found more entertaining than their weekly Dynamite equivalent show? We're 40 weeks into the year, and my guess would be under 5. 8 out of 10 show tonight, and yes, this week, I think Dynamite may have edged out Raw. Mm, I'm I'm hesitant to kind of make that like direct comparison because the shows uh, I feel are very different. Um, but I if if I had to make that direct comparison, uh, it would definitely be under five. Do you have an answer? Oh, um, I mean that probably sounds right. So okay. Uh, Coleman gives this show an 11 out of 10, and then Billy says, excellent first hour. I love Kenny getting the big intro just to squash Sonny. Lucha Bros with Eddie on commentary and a Family Guy-style musical number will cement this as a top-tier dynamite. Very happy for Kingston to be getting such a prominent pay-per-view match. It also shows that AEW is capable of reading the room and changing plans accordingly. Obviously, FTR versus Bucks and Kenny versus Hangman will be money matches, but it really says a lot about how much faith they have in a guy who was selling his boots a few months ago. The hype for... Uh, this is from... Muggin. The hype for Full Gear has picked up steam tonight. Jungle Boy showed some great babyface fire against Wardlow. The MGF Jericho steak dinner turning into a scene from uh, La La Land was something I didn't know I wanted. <laughs> Ke- Kenny Omega's inching closer and closer to his cleaner roots is in a quick match versus Sunny Kiss... Penta and Phoenix put on the match of the night. Semifinals look very good. And I'm looking forward to Omega and Phoenix facing off again. Is there expectation for that one to go long? Omega and Phoenix? Yeah, definitely. People right? would be furious if that went short. Yeah, like I don't know if they can do any sort of squash. Like that's got to be at least 10, I feel. Oh, I think minimum. Yeah, I, I think I think you have to really go all out with, with that match. Um, though, you know, mm. people argue like, what a great heel Omega would be by beating him in a minute. I would not. I do would that. hate that. No, not I think that's Phoenix. the wrong. You're catering to the wrong kind of heat at that point. Well, they I do. think they're going to just. I, I think that will literally be one of the the best TV matches we see this year. Will be next week. I mean, they will. That, that's the it. expectation. It, it kind of has. It's somewhat unfair to go in with those expectations, but that's what those two have. They do have to do something to show, you know, a change in Kenny Omega's character. And I don't think it necessarily has to be a squash or it just has to be him being extra aggressive, playing a bit more dirty. So we'll see what they do. We go up next to Ryan, who says to go from realistic Eddie Kingston promo to a surreal song and dance musical number while hitting all points in between is quite a feat to do it while still being entertaining is even more impressive. In an absolute rookie with no experience in the industry, if an absolute rookie with no experience can put on an entertaining show, speaking of Tony Khan, how bad are the writers for Raw? I I think it's a a completely different system in that, I mean, we know what the system is in WWE, and you can have great stuff outlined for six months to peak at a certain place. That doesn't matter when all of a sudden you come in one week and everything's torn up and no, we're going this way. I mean, that is just, that is a system that those writers have to work within. And it's a totally different one than in AEW where you can plot out your plans and, you know, with Tony Khan, he's not going to have anyone that's going to overrule it and say, oh no, we're, we're, we're putting Wardlow over tonight. 
well, we have all of this plan for the next month that hinged on this other result and where we were going. Hmm. Noah from Vaughn. I think it's safe to say that wrestling has just peaked with the dinner debonair. MJF and Jericho just pulled off one of the greatest segments in wrestling I've ever seen, and I think it will be remembered for years to come as one of AEW's best segments they have ever done. Incredible main event, and all four tournament matches ruled. Kenny had one of the greatest entrances ever. Moxley and Kingston's promos tonight were amazing, and their match at full gear should be fantastic. I love this show, 10 out of 10. Andrew from Cape Breton. A rare show I got to watch thanks to work, but it was pretty pretty good. I liked all the tournament matches, even Kenny Omega's squash tonight. I like Sunny Kiss, but he's been sadly presented in a certain way on TV, and you gotta smash guys over. Kenny Omega always seemed very obnoxious to me, so leaning into that as a heel will hopefully make him the top guy everybody was hoping he would be from the start. Speaking of top heels, I love Eddie Kingston, but I do wish they kept closer to their rankings, or at least gave Eddie more wins on TV or Dark. I would have liked to Lights out match that's non-title that maybe Eddie could win. That being said, both he and Moxley were excellent. The low light of the show were the Butcher and the Blade no longer being sailors or artists. And what what looked like to be... He doesn't finish here, so... 8 out of 10 show. Okay. Uh, let's go here. I'm going to go to uh, Corey from Long Island. Uh, he says, AEW's best edition of Dynamite yet. All of the tournament matches front-loading the show was an excellent idea, with each of them bringing their own distinct styles to the table. I saw Penton Phoenix have a match with each other at a small club in Queens back in 2016 that blew my mind, and their chemistry has only grown by leaps and bounds since. I'm absolutely over the moon that Eddie Kingston in 2020 will be headlining a major pay-per-view. The fact that the build for this has also been great is icing on top of that cake. The main event was an absolute was absolute tag team chaos at its best. True sensory overload with nail-biting, if slightly predictable, finish. And then there was the musical segment. I don't know if words can properly articulate how absolutely flabbergasted, astonished, and downright guffawed I was. Chris Jericho is simultaneously pro wrestling's David Lee Roth, Liberace, and Steve Buscemi pretending to be a teenager, and this was him at his most unshackled. Whatever he has going on in his head from this moment forward, I'll be watching every second of it, no questions asked. 10 out of 10. Thank you, everybody, for your feedback. Uh, a lot of it for this one. So I think a lot of people maybe just enticed by that dinner debonair seems to be the biggest talking point. Yeah, um, maybe I was too uh, skeptical of people's response to that. I thought maybe there would be some that would uh, not enjoy it. But it seems, at least on our form, it seemed to be you know pretty one-sided that everyone loved it, which I thought it was a great segment. And to the point brought up several times, like whether – like you will remember that segment – Three years from now. Like, I think that is one of those segments that AEW has produced that you will totally remember. Yeah, and it was because it was out of the ordinary and it was well done. Uh, it was just, it was weird, really. And you have to be a bit weird to be memorable. All right. Well, if everyone wants to go and check out Up Next, Braden and Davey have a whole rundown of Wednesday night's NXT show featuring the return of Pat McAfee. That's how you counter Le Dinner Debonair. Well, wow, okay. All Maybe right. we'll get Drake Maverick and Killian Dane going for a meal and try and top them next week. Um, Maybe, maybe. Next week's Halloween Havoc, by the way. Yes, yes. Big show. Very exciting. You know, if, this, uh, if the World Series goes to uh, seven games, that game seven will be next Wednesday night. Really? Wow. Okay, yes. well. They what's... were going against them tonight, so... What's um, the series right now? 
it's only uh it's one nothing for the Dodgers. They played game one Tuesday night and uh, by World Series standards, it did not do well. It did uh, under 10 million viewers. I think it was like the lowest watched World Series game. Uh, it might be ever. Wow. It was, a, it, was a, it was a lower number. So anyway, that's going to bring everything to a close. Uh, do check out the schedule uh, for the rest of the shows this week at postwrestling.com as well. Up next, uh, what is coming up with them once again, Way? So uh, tomorrow they've got their Batman Returns podcast. Right now on their feed, they've got their uh, Best Match Ever Hell in a Cell match uh, uh, podcast. And then this weekend, two watch-alongs for free at youtube.com slash upnext. One for Bound for Glory and then on Sunday for Hell in a Cell. All right. So we'll chat with you Friday night. Rewind to SmackDown live for all Cafe members, 10, 15 p.m. Eastern time, right after SmackDown. And we will be previewing Hell in a Cell on that show in addition to taking your calls. So that is all. Good night.